Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi, and I want to say thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have another diver. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you so much for returning. So I know I was gone last week, but I really, really wanted to catch up on some research. As you guys know, with true crime, it's very important to be accurate and have the correct information. And that can be time consuming to find that. Honestly, for me, it's worth it. It's worth the time. It's something that that's my highest priority when I do these cases is being accurate. So that way I don't offend anyone. Today, we are going to be talking about the case of Relisha Rudd. And honestly, I'm very surprised that not a lot of people know about this case. I don't understand why. I really, really don't. I did not know that this wasn't really a nationally covered case, which is crazy to me because things like this happen so often, way more often than they should. So let's just get right into this case. I do want to give a quick trigger warning. This is a pretty heavy case. It is involving a young child. If this is something that you may not want to listen to, I will give another trigger warning as we get more into the details, but I just want to let you know this is a heavy case involving a child. So if that's not something that you'd be comfortable with, please feel free to go ahead and maybe not listen to this episode. Relisha Tanau Rudd was born on October 29th in 2005 in Washington, D.C. Her mother's name was Shamika Young and her father's name was Irving Rudd. Relisha was described by people who knew her as being very friendly, very, very sweet. She loved to dance. She enjoyed arts and crafts. I mean, she was a very creative child and she was really smart. She absolutely loved school, which to me is just so amazing, especially for a young kid. Now, not much is known about Relisha's father, Irving, but... He was convicted of involuntary manslaughter in 1992 after the death of his 17-month-old daughter. He was sentenced to only 15 years in prison and released in 2002. And he actually tried to gain custody of Relisha and her brother, which is Shamika's oldest son. Shamika is Relisha's mother. But Irving was denied custody of both of them, but he was still given visitation rights. However, I don't think he used his visitation rights very much. Shamika Young, Relisha's mother, as I said, she struggled with a lot of depression and emotional issues when it came to raising her children as well as just conducting herself in everyday life. She spent some time in a mental health facility as a child after being placed in foster care and she was in foster care from the age of six to 18 and she had Relisha just a year later at the age of 19. As I said, Shamika, she struggled a lot growing up. There was a generational cycle of poverty and emotional issues when it came to raising children and conducting themselves. It was very hard for this family. They struggled a lot with this generationally. Now, Shamika had been charged with child neglect a few times, and there were three cases opened on her back in 2007 with the DC Child and Family Services Agency, otherwise known as the CFSA, and that is what I will be referring to them as for the remainder of this episode. The police were also called to the home twice. The cases involved lack of food, insufficient shelter, medical neglect, inadequate supervision, as well as abuse. Now, the CFSA actually had an individual case open specifically for Relisha that started when she was only two years old. She was found to have injuries that just couldn't be explained, and a social worker on the case noted that she had great concern for Relisha. But for some reason, there was not enough proof, and the case got dropped, and Shamika was still able to maintain custody of her kids. As 
as I said, Relisha does have an older brother that she shares her father Irving Rudd with, but she also has two younger brothers that were fathered by Antonio Wheeler. Antonio was Shamika's fiance. They met in 2008 and Antonio raised Relisha as his own. So Shamika was unemployed and she really struggled to raise her family. She was 28 years old. She was possibly facing a pretty severe drug addiction. She often just couldn't make ends meet when it came to raising her family. She, along with Antonio and her four kids, Relisha and her three brothers, they lived in an apartment in Southeast DC in a neighborhood called Congress Heights. Normally they had to stay in pretty rough neighborhoods because that was all they could afford, which is really sad that you have to sacrifice your safety just to not be homeless. Relisha would honestly be so scared to play outside. Oftentimes there were gunshots heard, there would be drug deals going on. It was just not a safe environment for children to be. The family unfortunately was evicted from this apartment in 2012 after they failed to pay rent. As I said, Shamika was unemployed and she had four children. So it was very hard for her to make ends meet and Antonio's income alone couldn't help them. This was the third time the family had been evicted and they had to stay at motels and homeless shelters just so they wouldn't have to be on the streets essentially. They did briefly stay with Shamika's sister, Ashley Young, but Ashley was receiving a government housing subsidy, which wasn't enough to support all of them. Ashley also had her own children to look after, so they couldn't stay with her for too long, but it was kind of just something they did until they figured out where they were going next. Eventually, Relisha and her family moved to the DC General Homeless Shelter, which was a building that used to be a hospital, and this hospital actually used to have the worst reputation in the area. Eventually, it was converted to a homeless shelter in 2001, and the shelter also had a very bad reputation. At the time, it was the largest shelter in DC and it had a capacity for 270 families, but usually it had over a thousand families staying there at once. That has to be some sort of fire code or health code violation to be over capacity by that much. Not to mention the conditions of the shelter were horrible. It was very, very unsanitary. There was mold all over the walls. It just wasn't clean. There are a lot of infestation issues between bugs and rodents and it just wasn't a very safe place to live. There was also a lot of structural damage as well. This shelter was known to be a hotbed for crime, oftentimes being the site of drug deals as well as sexual harassment and sexual assault by employees to residents. Relisha and her family actually had to share a room with a whole other family. So you can imagine it was pretty crowded. These were not comfortable living conditions at all. And Relisha often called the shelter the trap house. So that kind of tells you right there what was going on at this time. The fact that a young child was able to recognize that this shelter was a trap house. I mean, things were not being hidden. Everything was probably very out in the open. And she did not like living there. Relisha hated living in the shelter. And we're gonna get into that more later. So fast forward to the summer of 2013. Relisha was only seven years old. And at this point, her family was going back and forth between living in the shelter and living in Ashley's house. Because honestly, they all hated living at that shelter and they wanted to get away whenever they could. Ashley's house was like a reprieve for them. It was a sense of normalcy, you know, just for them to kind of get away. At this time, Relisha was attending Farabee Hope Elementary School and she was involved in cheerleading and girl Scouts. She really loved extracurricular activities. But sometimes Relisha's teachers would notice that she would show up to school hungry, tired, not bathed, and wearing dirty clothes. They also noticed how she always talked about not wanting to go home, which is not normal at all. 
No child should dread going home. Every child should want to go home at the end of the school day. It was very widely known within the school how much Relisha hated going home. And her teachers really stepped up for her. They would give her fresh clothes. They would give her food. They made sure that she was ready for the day. You know, they really looked out for her, which is honestly what all teachers should do. And it's great that they were able to be there for her. But Relisha's cheerleading coach, a woman named Shannon Smith, she really looked out for her. She bathed her. She did her hair for her. And when you're a young black girl, your hair is very important. So for her coach to do what she could to make sure her hair was done, that's a really big thing. And she always looked out for her. She always made sure she was okay. And if she didn't show up to school or she didn't show up to practice, she would always make sure she called Relisha's mother to see where she was. Now there was one incident where a teacher at Relisha's school was returning to the school after an event that had gone past school hours. And it was nighttime at this point. And this teacher, upon returning to the school, she sees Relisha and her brother sitting outside of the school. Relisha, like I said, she had three brothers. We're not sure which brother she was with. And the teacher goes up to them, asks them, you know, what are you doing here? Are you okay? They told their teacher that their mother never came to pick them up. The teacher decided to call Shamika and ask for their address so she could take the kids home herself. But for some reason, Shamika refused to give the address and she just hung up on the one person that was with her children and knew where they were. Now, that same night, another teacher who lived in the area reportedly saw Relisha and her brother in a laundromat alone and she called the police and they came to pick the kids up and bring them home. Now, for some reason, there's no proof of this. This can't be confirmed, but the family denies it. Later after this incident, Shamika ended up calling the school and said that if she doesn't come to pick her kids up, it's okay for them to walk home, which is just dumbfounding. I don't know why you would want your seven-year-old and another young child. All these children were elementary school age. I don't know why you would want them to walk home from school, especially when you don't live in the best area. Eventually, the school started to pick up on some habits that were happening within Relisha's family and they decided to file an abuse report against Shamika. And this was really set off by an incident that occurred with one of Relisha's brothers. He happened to show up to school with an injury and he claimed that he had been thrown down and beaten and his lip was made to bleed. And he came to school that day disheveled. So they decided to file a case against her. And the social worker on the case noted a lack of supervision and abuse that was going on within the home. Police were brought in. They investigated these claims, but no charges were filed. No charges. And of course, the family denies all of these allegations. I don't know what the hell it's gonna take for somebody to do something, but clearly a child showing up to school looking beaten and disheveled is just not enough for them. So as I said earlier, Relisha was on the cheerleading team and she was on Girl Scouts. This had a lot to do with the fact that she wanted to do everything she could to stay away from the shelter. She hated to go home. So she wanted to be involved in any after-school program she possibly could, just to avoid going home. Security guards sometimes would report seeing Relisha wander around the school for hours after school was already over. She literally wanted to do anything she could to not go home. She then spent a lot of time with the Homeless Children's Playtime Project. And this was pretty much a project that gave homeless children a safe space to socialize and play with other children. I'm gonna include the link of the Homeless Children's Playtime Project in the episode description in case you want to donate 
to this foundation because I think it's honestly a really great cause because this was a great reprieve for Relisha. It helped her a lot and she was so helpful. She would always help set up and clean and wanted to stay as long as possible to help her teachers. She really enjoyed this program. Ashley's house was also a very nice escape for the children as well. She would oftentimes watch Relisha and her brothers just to kind of give Shamika a break and keep them away from the dangers of the shelter. And Relisha loved going to Ashley's. She wanted to stay there all the time. So much so that she would fake being sick and she even faked an asthma attack just so she could stay at her Aunt Ashley's house longer. That in itself is just so heartbreakingly sad. The fact that this little girl was so desperate to not go home that she would fake ailments so she could stay. It really does make you wonder what the hell was going on at home with her. So over time, Ashley started to notice that when Shamika would bring the kids by so she could watch them, she would only send her sons. She was starting to see less and less of Relisha. One day on one of the more rare occasions that Ashley actually was watching Relisha, a man called her house. Ashley picked up the phone. She had no idea who this man was. And all he said was he was on the way to her house to pick Relisha up. And Ashley was kind of like, what the hell? I don't know who you are. I don't know how you got my address or my number, but you said you're on the way. You know, that's really scary. So Ashley just hung up on him and called Shamika to tell her like, hey, this guy just called my house and said he's coming by here to pick up Relisha. Like what the hell's going on? And Shamika said, oh yeah, that's Relisha's godfather. Ashley's like, who? Her godfather? You know, who, who is this man? And his name was Khalil. Tatum. Khalil Malik Tatum was born on February 6, 1963 in Washington, D.C. Now at this time, he was working as a janitor at the D.C. General Homeless Shelter that Relisha and her family lived in. But there was a strict no fraternization policy at the homeless shelter, which pretty much means employees are not allowed to socialize with residents. That was a rule. And anybody who broke this rule was to be fired immediately. But Khalil befriended Shimi anyway. In fact, he often befriended a lot of residents and they were usually young girls. Now at this time, Relisha was eight years old. Not sure why this grown man is befriending young girls. Oftentimes residents would call him godfather. He was almost seen as like this fatherly figure to people in the shelter. And he got away with breaking the fraternization policy a lot. The fact that you're literally not allowed to socialize with residents and yet he was getting so close to people that they were calling him godfather just lets you know right there he had not only crossed the line but he was way over the line but Khalil was said to be very charming and very well liked and these are pretty common personality traits of a predator. So jumping back to when he called Ashley to pick Relisha up, Ashley was very concerned, but she figured if Shamika trusted him and said that this is Relisha's godfather and he was going to take her, then she should too. Melissa, Relisha's grandmother and Shamika's mother, who we're gonna be speaking about a little bit as well, she also thought it was kind of weird how much time this grown man was spending alone with this young girl because she also met Khalil Tatum. Sometimes he he would drop Relisha off back at Melissa's house whenever he was, you know, done spending time with her. And Relisha would always tell her grandmother how much fun she had with Khalil's granddaughter. She would be over at his house and Relisha would play with her. So she was like, yeah, I had so much fun with, you know, Mr. Tatum's granddaughter. I really want to go back. So they kind of started to trust him and think, okay, maybe, you know, he just wants her to go spend some time with his granddaughter. It was like she had a little friend. So everybody just went along with it. Shamika would even let Relisha spend the 
night at his home and he shared a home with his grandmother. What's so crazy is that Shamika never even met his grandmother, but yet she was just letting her just spend the night there. The fact that she was letting Relisha spend the night at this home and she hadn't even met one of the people that lived there is just downright odd. But over time, Khalil did a really good job at grooming the family to trust him with Relisha and they really grew to like him. I mean, as I said, he was very charming. He knew how to turn the charm on and get people to like him. Khalil was grooming Relisha as well. Some of the ways that he groomed Relisha and her family was by giving her gifts. He gave her a Kindle tablet. He gave her a computer. He took her to Disney on ice, went to the movies, the mall. He took her to get her nails done. He bought her good food and nice clothes. And when you're a child that struggled with poverty, these are things that you've probably never gotten to experience before because you just simply couldn't afford it. So now you have this man coming in, giving you all these things that you probably never thought you would ever have. It's mesmerizing. It's very charming. And this is called grooming. He's building trust with the family by giving Relisha things, showering her with attention and gifts. And honestly, the family just ate it up. They felt like he was helping her. They felt like he was being there for her and helping them in their time of need because they were struggling so much financially. But Khalil wasn't helping the whole family. He was only doing this to Relisha. Her brothers weren't getting this attention. Her brothers weren't getting gifts and getting taken to the movies or Disney on ice, only Relisha. So no one really realized how strange it was that again, this grown man that they weren't even related to was giving all of this attention to an eight year old girl. At the end of February in the year of 2014, Relisha suddenly stopped showing up to school. She just wasn't there. By March, she had missed 30 days, a month, a month of school consecutively. And none of her brothers had missed any school, only her. And no one in the school followed up about her absences because they were marked as excused. I'm gonna get into that in a second. And no one decided to follow up until one of Relisha's teachers noticed that she had five unexcused absences. So most of her absences at this point were excused, but she had five that weren't. That's when her teacher decided to contact Shamika. She scheduled a meeting with her to figure out what was going on and why Relisha wasn't in school. Shamika told her teacher, oh, Relisha's in the care of a man named Dr. Tatum. Weird, right? So that's why Relisha's absences were marked as excused because it was said to be for medical reasons. But her teacher decided, you know, let's have a meeting. And she told Shamika to bring Dr. Tatum to this meeting in order to clarify things. So when the time came for the meeting, Shamika came alone and she simply handed over a doctor's note that was signed by this Dr. Tatum. So this doctor's note contained Dr. Tatum's contact information and Shamika told the teacher to give him a call. So on March 10th, school officials decide to call Dr. Tatum and he answers. He claimed that Relisha was undergoing treatment for a neurological condition and said that her treatment would actually be wrapping up this week and that she'll be able to come back to school soon. But the officials wanted him to provide documented proof of these treatments so they could have it on file in order to have something to back up all of these absences. And Dr. Tatum agreed. 
but nothing was ever sent. On March 13th, just three days later, Relisha had racked up 10 unexcused absences. And by law, the school was required to notify the Child and Family Services Agency or the CFSA for educational neglect. For some odd reason, they marked this case as low priority. Why you would mark a case of a child missing over a month of school as low priority just beats me. On March 19th, about a week later, the social worker on the case decides to contact Dr. Tatum herself and schedule a meeting. And he agrees. He says, yes, let's meet in person. That's fine with me. But when the time came for the meeting, of course, he didn't show up. And the social worker was kind of starting to get a really weird vibe that something was off. So she decides to go to the homeless shelter where Relisha and her family had been staying to kind of get some intel. And she asked some of the employees at the shelter if they knew a Dr. Tatum. And they kind of looked at her a little confused and said, Dr. Tatum? The only person I know with that last name is Khalil Tatum. They were like, he works at the shelter. Like, There's no Dr. Tatum. They claimed that he'd actually been to work at the shelter that day, but that he had gone home for the day. So with that, the social worker kind of starts to put two and two together and realizes that Khalil Tatum had been posing as a doctor. The janitor that worked at the homeless shelter that had been grooming Relisha and her family for all these months, he was posing as a fake doctor. And for some reason, Shamika was going along with it. The social worker just got a really bad feeling, so she decided to report her findings to the police. The police also got a very bad feeling about this, and they decide to bring Shamika in. Now, Shamika kept referring to Khalil as Dr. Tatum, even though by this point, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't a damn doctor. She claimed that Relisha attended a medical conference with him in Atlanta on March 8th, and that's why she wasn't at school. She had been having these health issues. But this was all a lie. Relisha had no neurological condition as far as we knew, and Khalil Tatum is not a doctor. So then Shamika goes on to tell police that before the medical conference, Relisha had been staying with her grandmother, Melissa, so that she didn't really know much about what was going on. But she said that she talked to Relisha on the phone on March 17th. And that was the first time that she had talked to her in about three weeks because she didn't have a phone at the time. Shamika felt like Relisha was safe with Khalil. She really didn't have any issues. And police decide to call Khalil. They're like, okay, we'll call his phone and you know, we'll get some information out of him. But of course, he wasn't answering. So at this point, Khalil Tatum has gone ghost. He's gone AWOL. At one point, he was picking up the phone and kind of playing with the police. But eventually, he stopped answering the phone. So with that, on March 19th, 2014, Relisha Rudd was officially reported missing. And an Amber Alert was issued that day. But the Amber Alert was only issued in D.C. Never mind the fact that there's so many surrounding areas that he probably could have been at or taken Relisha within that time. With in that whole month. I mean, I live in the DMV. I don't live in DC and I'm less than an hour away and we did not get an Amber Alert. Just think of all the places Relisha could have been. She really could have been anywhere. If anything, they should have released this nationwide, not just in DC, not even in just the surrounding areas. They should have released this across America because given the length of time that she had been missing, she really could have been anywhere. I mean, Shamika already said that he had taken her to Atlanta, so she had already crossed state lines by that point supposedly. Chances are he would have taken her out of DC as soon as possible. So the fact that it was only issued in DC to me was 
a very poor decision. The rest of Shamika's children, Relisha's siblings, her three brothers, they were taken from her custody that day and placed in the care of CFSA. After seven years of child neglect cases, the kids weren't removed from the home until one of them went missing. It's so sad that that's what has to happen for proper action to be taken. Eventually, police head over to Relisha's grandmother's house, Melissa, to get her side of the story. She said that she was supposed to pick Relisha up that night. Police had to tell her that Relisha was missing. Melissa goes, no, she's not. She's with Khalil Tatum. She said that her and Ashley had talked to her that morning. If you recall, Shamika said Relisha was with her grandmother and Melissa's like, no, that's not the case at all. If Melissa and Shamika's stories were starting to conflict a lot, but for some reason, the consensus was that Relisha wasn't missing. All of them trusted her with Khalil Tatum and just said, you know, she's with him. So the fact that this family had trusted him so much that Relisha missing a month of school just wasn't odd to them because she was with him is just mind boggling to me. Melissa then goes on to suggest that Shamika may be involved in her daughter's disappearance, which is very interesting. She also claimed that Shamika wrote some of those fake doctor's notes. And honestly, I do think it's very weird that Shamika was going along with this whole fake doctor thing. She knows Khalil is not a doctor. Pretty sure there was no medical conference either. So why she was going along with that and making that the story and feeding it to the police is very odd. Giving doctor's notes to a teacher that she knows is fake. It's almost like she was trying to cover for him. But again, we can't confirm any of this. No one has been convicted of a crime. So police start digging into Khalil Tatum's past a little bit more and they find that he had been convicted of larceny, breaking and entering and burglary in the past and he went to jail from 1993 to 2003 and then again from 2004 to 2011. So in total, he spent 17 years in jail. Really, he shouldn't have even been allowed to work in the shelter to have access to these girls and all of these people. But this is just another way that the shelter really wasn't keeping track of anything. They were allowing people to break the rules. Clearly, they weren't doing the background checks that they were supposed to be doing because Khalil shouldn't have even been allowed to work there in the first place. So investigators later found that Khalil had taken Relisha to two different motels in DC. So the first hotel was a Holiday Inn Express in Northeast DC. And the last known footage of Relisha is on February 26th at this hotel, a little after 7 p.m. Relisha is seen walking down the hall, holding hands with Khalil, and they were seen going into the room together. Relisha was wearing a purple Helly Hansen jacket that had white stripes on it, and she was wearing pink boots. Something about that footage honestly just makes me so uncomfortable. Watching her go in the room with him, it just, uh, it just makes my stomach turn because no one knows what happened in there. We don't know what he was doing. The fact that this man is not related to her in any way at all. The last confirmed sighting of Relisha was at Ashley's house on March 1st and her brother was also there. Relisha told Ashley that she wasn't feeling well. Ashley called Shamika and had her come pick Relisha up because she didn't think she should go to school sick. But later that day, Relisha and Khalil were seen at a Days Inn hotel, which was the second hotel Khalil took her to in Washington, D.C. That same day, Shamika also posted an Instagram video with Relisha in it. Now, we're not sure when this video was taken, but she did post it that day. Another rule that the shelter was not really enforcing was room checks. Now, they were supposed to do room checks every night to make sure all residents were accounted for. But keep in mind, Relisha was missing for over a month and they never noticed. 
They had no clue. The social worker had to go there and ask them for information. So the fact that the place that she was living had no clue that she was missing just goes to show they clearly weren't doing their jobs. Now on March 2nd, the day after the last confirmed sighting of Relisha, Khalil was seen on surveillance at a hardware store and he bought contractor sized trash bags, a shovel and a bag of lime, which is known to cover up the smell of dead bodies. Then he spent hours in Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens in Northeast DC, but no one knows what he was doing there. On March 18th, the day before Relisha was officially reported missing, Khalil had checked into the Red Roof Inn in Oxon Hill, Maryland. He entered the room with four people, but none of them were Relisha. Less than an hour later, three people left. Later that night, Khalil and his wife, 51-year-old Andrea Denise Tatum, they were seen entering the room together. But the next morning, March 19th, the day the Amber Alert was issued and Relisha was officially reported missing, Khalil was seen leaving without his wife. Police, after doing some investigating and finding out where Khalil was the day Relisha had been declared missing, they found his wife dead in this hotel room and she had been shot in the head execution style. Police, they found that Khalil had filed for separation on February 7th from his wife. After 24 years of marriage, it was pretty obvious who had done this. He entered the hotel room with her and he left without her. Eventually, police issued a bolo or be on the lookout for his car, which was a white 1976 GMC truck. And an arrest warrant was issued for Khalil and he was charged for the death of his wife. He also had some car theft charges pending against him. So he just had a lot of crazy shit going on. Khalil was then added to the FBI's one wanted list and police believed that he killed his wife because she may have known what happened to Relisha. Maybe she knew too much and he decided that, you know, she had to go. And Khalil eventually became the prime suspect in Relisha's disappearance. Eventually, police obtained a search warrant for Khalil's house so they could go ahead and see if they could find some more information and anything that could lead them to finding Relisha or him. And in his home, they found two passports, various cell phones, a picture of Relisha, clothes and shoes for children, as well as his iPad and some papers from his office. And they actually seized his iPad and papers. God, the fact that he had a picture of Relisha is just so eerie to me. On March 25th, 2014, six days after Relisha was reported missing, police found Khalil Tatum's white 1976 GMC truck, and it was found in Hyattsville, Maryland. But after investigating and searching the truck, there was no sign of him or Relisha, and there was honestly no useful evidence found in there, which is very odd. But eventually, things would take a turn that no one saw coming. On March 31st, 2014, Khalil's body was found in a storage building in Kenilworth Park around 12.30 p.m. He had been shot dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The same gun that he used to kill his wife, Andrea, he also used to commit suicide. And after searching the ponds and the wooded area that surrounded the park, there was still no sign of Relisha. Honestly, I think when everyone heard that Khalil Tatum had committed suicide, that was just deflating. I think at that point, a lot of people lost hope because he was the key to finding out where Relisha was and what happened to her because he was the last known person to be with her. So when he was found dead, I think that was a huge turning point in the case. And police really started to look at this case as now being possibly a recovery operation, considering the fact that she had been missing for so long. And the last person that was seen with her was now dead. Honestly, it was heartbreaking to hear. 
As time has gone on, people have very heavily criticized and suspected the family of Relisha being involved in her disappearance. Now, I wanna jump back a little bit to February of 2014. Relisha's stepdad, Antonio Wheeler, he had posted pictures on Facebook of himself with stacks of cash and a brand new pair of sneakers. And people speculated that maybe he had been involved with Relisha being trafficked. Maybe there was something going on and there was some sort of deal that had been worked out because they were flashing money. Melissa, Relisha's grandmother, she claimed that this money came from cashing a social security disability check. But Shamika says that her and Antonio received a tax refund and a $4,000 insurance settlement that was received from a car accident the year before in 2013. They said that they just happened to receive this three weeks after Relisha had been off with Khalil Tatum. They came up with all of these reasons on why they had this money. I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, but this is what the family said. They kind of just wanted to quell the rumors that were going around about them. This little girl had been gone for over a month and it seemed like no one cared or no one bothered to look for her. Everybody just figured she was with him. Today, Relisha Rudd still remains missing eight years later. And her family honestly still believes that she's alive. She was eight at the time of her disappearance and she would be 17 years old today. A year after Relisha went missing, Shamika and Antonio tried to regain custody of their other three kids. And they did so by taking parenting courses, submitting weekly drug tests and attending required therapy sessions. But they were still denied custody of Relisha's three brothers. And as far as I know, they still don't have custody. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Relisha is still missing and she hasn't been found. And I really think that's counting against them. I think the courts are just worried that this could happen to another one of her siblings. So they still think it's best to just keep them away. In 2017, Shamika and Antonio by this point were no longer together. Antonio believes that Shamika was involved in Relisha's disappearance. And I think that played a part in them breaking up. He also feels like she knows a little bit more than she's telling for some reason. So Antonio and Melissa, Relisha's grandmother, Shamika's mother, they decide to take Shamika on the Steve Wilkos show. And if you don't know what that is, the Steve Wilkos show is kind of like Maury and Jerry Springer mixed into one, but his topics are way heavier. And Melissa and Antonio took a polygraph test, but Shamika refused to take one. And I'm gonna play a little bit of audio from when they took their tests and Steve Wilkos read their results. Did you participate in any way in the disappearance of Relisha? You answer no. Have you ever had any sexual physical contact with Relisha? You answer no. Did you ever strike any of your children leaving marks or bruises? You answered no. The results came back the same to each and every question and they came back that Antonio told the truth. Lisa, you took a lie detector test and we asked you, did you participate in any way in the disappearance of your granddaughter? You answered no. Did you give your granddaughter to Khalil Tatum around the time of her disappearance? You answered no. And the results came back that you, Melissa, told the truth. 
On the show, Steve pretty much told Shamika how it was. He literally said that, you know, because if you've seen the show, Steve used to be a police officer and he flat out said to Shamika, I used to be a police officer back in the day. I used to investigate cases similar to this. And he was like, you would have been number one on my suspect list because the way she acted was just very odd. The whole audience kind of just erupts and cheers because I kind of think everybody feels the same way a little bit. But as you heard, Antonio and Melissa both passed their polygraph tests. Keep in mind, lie detector tests are not permissible in court. You can't use them to exonerate someone from a crime. However, it is interesting that they not only agreed to take the tests and pass them, but Shamika completely refused. And it's definitely still worth noting. I think it's so frustrating that there really are no answers in this case. Relisha, as I said, is still missing to this day. And if police know anything, they're not speaking on it. Khalil Tatum most likely died with the answers as to what happened to Relisha. The FBI is now offering a $25,000 reward for information that leads to her being found. In 2017, July 11th was officially named National Relisha Rudd Remembrance Day by DC police. And March 1st is Relisha Rudd Awareness Day. And I honestly think this was an amazing thing to do. It's so sad that she can't be found. If you see something similar going on, do different. Don't just turn a blind eye. This is not normal. And hopefully this will raise awareness for young girls that are caught in similar situations. The DC City Council actually ended up closing the DC General Homeless Shelter down in 2019, which honestly I think was the best decision. They clearly were not protecting their residents. They were hiring people that had been convicted of crimes when this was clearly against their policy. It just wasn't a safe environment for anyone. Personally, I think they waited too long to close the shelter down. Relisha went missing in 2014 and they didn't close it down for another five years, especially when it came out that they were not following their own protocols. It's just sad that Relisha had to suffer at the hands of so much incompetence. DC later passed the Relisha Rudd law that same year, which required parents to report their children missing, which you would think would be a thing anyway. Think that this wouldn't even have to be a law, but clearly Shamika didn't report Relisha missing and it had been weeks since she had last been seen. So just imagine what would have happened had she been reported missing sooner. The first 48 hours of someone's disappearance are the most important. After that, it's very, very hard to find people because by that point, a lot of the time their tracks are cold. So they could be anywhere by that point. And it had been weeks, not days, weeks. Relisha was one of the first black children to receive as much publicity as she did in the district at this time. Honestly, I still don't think she received as much attention as she should have. Again, I live in the DMV. I saw this case every day at the time. I was 14 when this happened, so I remember it very, very well. And the case was honestly only covered by local news outlets. I didn't realize that this case wasn't covered nationally because I'm local. So we saw it all the time versus someone that lived in maybe New York or California. They probably didn't see as much coverage on this. And honestly, they should have, especially because he may have crossed state lines into Atlanta. The FBI did get involved once he crossed state lines, but there just wasn't a lot of coverage on this case. You know, there's so many other cases that get a lot of attention, such as Kaylee Anthony or Elizabeth Smart. It tends to be usually young white girls that get this amount of attention on their cases. All cases should be treated with the same importance, no matter your race. And it's sad that that's not the case. Black women and black girls and women of color, they're often targeted more by predators because the predators know that the case is not going to get the same attention as someone who is white. So they know that the chances of them getting away with these crimes 
are much greater. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that Khalil targets young girls that are in this homeless shelter. You know, they're vulnerable. I think he knows this and he preys upon this because he knows that they're not going to be protected. And that to me is awful. He shouldn't have even been working there in the first place. And the fact that he wasn't denied this job and given access to these people that are clearly more vulnerable shows how disgusting he is and it shows how incompetent the shelter was. I'm very glad that it's closed down and done and over with, but there's probably still so many other places just like this. Every adult failed her in this case. Every adult, even the ones that didn't do anything because that's exactly what you did wrong. Nothing. You didn't step in. You didn't say, look, this is weird. What the hell's going on? And the CFSA, they allowed Relisha to fall through the cracks. They allowed her brothers to fall through the cracks. The fact that none of the kids were taken from the home until one of them went missing, it shouldn't have to get to that point. Why should someone have to die or go missing for you to do something about it? That's the biggest issue in this whole case is the fact that nothing was done and there were so many opportunities for something to be done and it wasn't. I'm going to put the links for missing and exploited children in the episode description as well as the link for black and missing below so that way you can donate you can report i will also include the link of the playtime project in case you want to donate to that as well and with that we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this episode i really did this episode for awareness purposes you or someone you know is experiencing something like this do something because you could honestly be saving a life to this day like i said relisha is still missing she has not been found and it's so frustrating to end a case like this but now we have to do our part and what we can to see what we can do to bring her home and help other children as well. Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope to see you in the water soon.